Welcome, Play On Podcast listeners, to this week's episode. This is Josh Davros here again, filling in for Nano Taggart, and we have the pleasure of welcoming to the podcast J.R. Sullivan, director of Sherlock Holmes' The Final Adventure here at the Utah Shakespeare Festival in our 2014 fall season. J.R. has been involved with the Utah Shakespeare Festival for many years, including directing recent plays such as Stones in His Pockets, The Glass Menagerie, and Henry V. He was the Associate Artistic Director of the festival from 2002 to 2009. He co-adapted Pride and Prejudice that was performed here in 2010 and this summer season's Sense and Sensibility with Joe Hanratty, who we had here on the podcast in June. He recently was the artistic director at the Pearl Theater Company in New York City uh, for the past several years while directing there many off-Broadway plays, and he's also a freelance director in Chicago. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Sullivan, for being with us today. We're so excited as we... uh, have o- opening day today for uh, our our two new fall shows as uh, Jim is the director of uh, Sherlock Holmes the Final Adventure and also the co-adapter for our summer production of Sense and Sensibility. Uh so Jim, welcome. Thanks. Uh you've been with the festival a long time and I think for our listeners that may be tuning in and and not knowing your history, tell us uh sort of your journey with Utah Shakespeare Festival briefly. Yes, my first uh, show here as a director was in 1999, summer of 99, uh, a Bernard Shaw play called You Never Can Tell. And that proved true about me and uh Utah Shakespeare Festival, <laughs> uh, you never can tell what what uh, what might begin a, a major chapter, uh, an ongoing chapter of my life, working with this uh, remarkable company and uh, its remarkable audience. Uh, that was uh, followed in uh, with the fall show in 2000, uh, Driving Miss Daisy, and uh, and by the time we hit the next summer, which was Arsenic and Old Lace for me, and I and and uh, a show that both uh, Brian Vaughn and David Ivers were featured in. Uh, uh, the then producing artistic directors, uh, Cam Harvey and the late, great Doug Cook, uh, took me aside and said, well, what would you think if? And, and thus uh, began the, uh, my relationship with the festival as an associate artistic director, which I did from 2002 until 2009. And now I've continued to return as a guest director. So it's a, in a way, it's a full circle, but it's also uh, you know a, a rising levels of uh, and plateaus of experience. Excellent. Well, we've been very blessed to have you as part of the team in terms of uh, guiding the artistic vision of the festival, and now coming back uh, as a director this year, directing Sherlock Holmes: The Final Adventure. What uh, what sort of caught your eye about this play? What made you want to direct it? Uh, or, or did, or did Brian and David just say this is the one we think you should do? Well, uh, yes, to both of those, uh, that was the offer, but also it was one I eagerly uh, took because the uh, the challenge and joy of the you know of the theatricality of this piece, uh, and also the uh, the deep knowledge that an audience will have about the character and a relationship that pre-exists about it. Uh, it's, it's actually something that uh, uh, is not unlike an audience's uh, uh, existing relationship to characters like Hamlet or Falstaff or uh, Othello. You know, they, sure. they know them already and are looking to meet them in, in new iterations you know, on new ground and new experiences. And that would be the case here. Sherlock Holmes 
no character has been portrayed more in uh, uh, theatrical and film and television media. There have been 70 uh, Sherlock actors who have played Sherlock wow. Holmes in film, uh, TV, or radio since its creation, and over 200 uh, films. He, he, he is the more, most portrayed uh, fictional character. Why do you think that that this continued connection exists? Why? What is it about these Sherlock Holmes stories that can, makes it continue to be reborn and revived? Yeah, they're good reads, and and also uh, they appeal like all good mystery writing does. Uh, there's an engagement with the reader uh, uh, beyond the entertainment value and the sh and the pure pleasure of reading it and uh, 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 meeting the characters, but also you know the aspects of, of form and structure and plot. Uh, uh, the embedding of clues, uh, that all mm -hmm. that kind of thing, which which uh, mystery lovers well know from everything from G.K. Chesterton to Dorothy Sayers, Agatha Christie, mm -hmm. and all the rest. But Sherlock Holmes was a prototype, you know, for the consulting detective, uh, the man who uh, 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 bases his deductions on uh, observable facts and the seemingly inconsequential details of character and behavior. Uh, he actually had an ancestor in Edgar Allan Poe's uh, detective character, C. Uh, uh, Auguste Dupin, mm -hmm. uh, who, who actually, uh, I mean, Poe deserves more credit, frankly, for having a lot to do with the uh, creation of this uh, kind of character. But Holmes certainly surpasses uh, Dupin in, 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 the, in the sense of the completeness mm -hmm. of his uh, 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 creation uh, and the fascinations of him. He... He is uh, complex, he's neurotic, uh, he's uh, manic, he's compulsive, he's obsessive, uh, along with his intelligence, his humor, his wit, his loyalty. Uh, and these are all things that appeal to us now and appealed then. So he, is, he, 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 he exists in two ages very well. And that's certainly been borne out by his re-creation re, uh, uh, as modern versions of, of uh -huh. Sherlock Holmes, whether it's uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, uh, BBC, uh -huh. current BBC uh, uh, iteration, where he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a contemporary of ours, or even something like uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh -huh. uh, Holmes, which is... Uh, in costume set in yeah. the 1890s, but in technology seems to be in the in, of Iron Man world. So, yeah, uh, that that all of that uh, means that he still has this appeal, and I think that goes to our desire for order uh, in a chaotic, incomprehensible universe. Want uh, uh, a universe that hasn't changed much in that regard with the information age. And in fact, it has become more mysterious and more uh, seemingly incomprehensible and dangerous. Uh, we like to know that there's somebody there who can uh, look after us, who mm -hmm. can put a, a stop to that, who can can rewrite it. Well, and who can sift through mm -hmm. the data, whether it's yeah. the data of observable fact or the data in bits and bytes on. Yeah, who's the smarter computer. than we are <laughs> and, and doesn't have uh, power on his mind. What's always fascinated me about Sherlock Holmes, speaking specifically of that sort of the, the sort of total picture of personality that you don't think of. I know, you know, when I think of sort of classic characters, I think of them somewhat stereotypical, that they're almost, that they're not fully fleshed out and three-dimensional. And I think what's always fascinated me about Sherlock Holmes is that he is an imperfect being, that he, it, along with these incredible gifts comes this sort of rock star personality. Yeah. And do you think that that has any, 
bearing on the sort of modern love of this, that there's this, that we love the anti, this sort of anti-hero. Sure. Love. And, and his vulnerability, he's not infallible mm -hmm. and he's not omniscient. Uh, he, 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 he himself says he failed four times, which is a pretty good record in 50, yeah. 56 short stories and four novels. But nonetheless, he's, we, we can identify with his faults as well as admire his uh, virtues. So speaking of the play specifically and looking at the huge body of work, and as you said, the most uh, acted or created character, how much of that went into your uh, concept and process in terms, how much did you, did that, did you feel the need to reference that as you created the character with this design team and these to actors? To a degree you do, because uh, he's such, a, 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 he's a, a, a kind of iconographically, uh, there's a look to Sherlock Holmes that mm -hmm. matters. Sure. Uh, um, I'm not sure you could do a roly-poly, uh, uh, 200-plus <laughs> uh, uh, pound yeah. uh, Sherlock Holmes. Or if you did, you had better compensate with other things. There are certain things that want to fit the mold, mm -hmm. you know, and that is certainly fulfilled by uh, J. Todd Adams, who's playing Sherlock Holmes here. But at the same time, uh, you don't want to, to be uh, uh, slavishly devoted to something in, in, mm -hmm. in, in somebody else's uh, vision. The Sherlock Holmes in our mind traditionally, uh, which, which largely was reinforced by the Basil Rathbone films mm -hmm. in terms of the uh, Inverness cape and the, and the deerstalker hat mm -hmm. and all, th th those are images that came from illustrations uh, to the original stories in the Strand magazine in London. Uh, uh, that was never written by Conan Doyle. He, that was invented by Sidney Paget, who mm -hmm. illustrated. But the power of that is such that that if you if you see Sherlock Holmes' statue in Edinburgh, Scotland, right now, he's wearing deerstalker, deerstalker. Hat and the curvy pipe and Inverness the Inverness yeah. pipe, uh, cape and the and the uh, meerschaum pipe. Mm -hmm. So. Um, uh, uh, there's that, but at the same time, because of the contemporary, what you want as contemporary impact and relevance, uh, you want all those aspects of his modern personality to be uh, important and his quirkiness, which came into uh, uh, the costuming as sure. well for this show. Looking at it from a, a staging perspective now, when you direct a, a, a mystery like this, a, semi-complicated or it's deep mystery. A, I think it's more of a it's mystery Ad, aspect. Mystery adventure. But, but there's thriller. Yeah, yeah thriller. Adventure thriller aspects. How do you approach that in terms of your directing style as a, a family drama or a comedy in terms of what you focus on in the rehearsal process? Well, this play had to uh, move like a thriller. Uh, it had to, uh, it's very informed by, by cinematic uh, technique and flow or jump cuts, you know, uh -huh. to new scenes and uh, not unlike what we did, frankly, with uh, Sense and Sensibility in its adaptation. So, and that's a, 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 you know, that would not have made sense to an audience seeing the play in uh, 1910, mm -hmm. you know, William Gillette's play. Yeah, the four-act play. Stephen yeah. uh, based this play on. Would not have made sense to them, but does now because of our, uh, our we're attuned to, to that the nature of that as storytelling Largely because of film and TV, but also in, 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 the, in the theater. So, and that, in fact, is something that goes back to Shakespeare. So uh, it's just that, uh, that in the history of theater, it went through a, a naturalistic, realistic mm -hmm. uh, phase for centuries uh, that became the norm. So this, this actually returns to a more imaginative uh, uh, kind of storytelling, but it's also absolutely essential to this play 
to maintain uh, tension and adventure. It's a chase thriller in, in ways. We're chasing a villain who in, who in turn is chasing us uh, as Holmes and Watson. And that's a, a style and form of, of film, a storytelling that uh, Alfred Hitchcock picked up on and then most of his movies. Mm -hmm. And even the early James Bond movies are about that yeah, adventure. The, the chase. Chase, yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's a double-edged uh, uh, chase. Let's switch gears and talk about uh, Sense and Sensibility. We had Joe Hanratty, uh, who your co-author and director here at the beginning of the season in the podcast series. So I think it's exciting that you're here at the beginning of the fall season and thus the end of the summer uh, to, to sort of chat a little bit about, you know, you just made the comparison to uh, the movement and the style in terms of transition and cinematic approach. Uh, looking at Sense and Sensibility now after it's closed, I mean, what what sort of are your thoughts as you – uh, think about it as a script in, do you still think about it as a script in process or, or, uh, yes, we do. What are, what are your th the thoughts after the, the, this well, premiere? Well, the first production tells you an awful lot about it, you know, and, and what's awful about it and what's, <laughs> and what's good about it. You know, there wasn't anything, you know, particularly awful about sure. it at all. But, uh, you, you know, you learn, you know, and audiences tell you about it. Too and and Joe and I have always felt that a second and third production would be the productions that would, uh, you know, finally uh, uh, firm up what was there and and uh, and we'll sign the work and let it go. So the current uh, work on it has to do with uh, compacting it somewhat more, mm -hmm. uh, also creating a suggested doubling scheme for theaters that can't afford eighteen actors. Yeah, that large maybe, of a cast, maybe thirteen. And with a sl with a couple of adjustments, that's very possible, mm -hmm. and uh, and just you know uh, 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 tighter, uh, quicker ways to to deliver the story, as well as a few jokes here and there, you know that mm -hmm. you know to, to spice it up. So now, the, perhaps the hard question: What has become your favorite moment in that play, either as as you wrote it together or as you watched it this season? Well, What's my favorite moments in the play are the, there are three key moments when Eleanor. Dashwood, uh, who is uh, uh, criticized by her own sister for never having deep feelings, uh -huh. you know, and, and, and who prides herself on how she governs her feelings, her sense, as opposed to the uh, uh, sensibility, sensibility of, of Marianne, meaning her uh, uh, intuitive, romantic uh, nature, is the, uh, you know, three moments, all of them in Act Two, where everything is uh, uh, stored up and then and then just comes out of her and and, and in, in in to to a degree uh culminating in the uh last uh wash of emotion she feels when she learns that Edward Ferris is in fact uh still single and not married to Lucy Steele. Uh then the first first of these was when uh, Eleanor's uh response to Marianne when when Marianne was pushing her about uh what she that she knew about Lucy Steele and Edward for many, many months and never told her, and 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 uh, uh, the fact that she had to keep that secret and because she promised it was a matter of of her honor and word, despite the fact of the dishonor of the uh -huh. on the other side of it from uh, Lucy. Uh, and then secondly, at Marianne's bedside, when Marianne is close to death, you know, and because the story is, well, it's a love story. Uh, uh, well, it's a love story in the sense of the coming together of Edward Ferrers and. And Eleanor Dashwood, as well as Marianne and Colonel Brandon, it's really a love story between these two sisters sure. and the and the love they have for each other. That's the deeper love story. And so when when uh, Eleanor is suddenly confronted with the possibility of losing her seventeen year old sister, 
you know, the, 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 the profound emotion that came from there. And the way that uh, Cassandra uh, Bissell played this role uh, created it for us, uh, us, the authors, and, and Jane Austen, mm -hmm. the, the yeah. author, and, and the audiences that saw it. These were moments that I always remember, and these are moments that will stay with that script for, in perpetuity. Speaking personally now, we always like to get a, a we always have some you know, personal talks with our guests and talk about how you came to be here, not just here at the festival, but came to be in this work. What, how did you know you wanted to live a life in the theater? What, at what point did that sort of hit well, I think you? For a lot of us, it happened for me in high school, uh, uh, mostly because I began to see work that, that really excited me. And, and you get your, you're out there watching and you just ha you're just overwhelmed by that feeling of I want to do that, you know. I want to be there with that. That this really is something that matters. And then they develop in in the, in the community of uh, uh, like spirits, you know, in, uh -huh. in a high school, which is such a communal uh, time of our lives. Uh, you, you discovery of self, of an authentic self in that work. And so that's where it happened to me. I mean, I, I had done it uh, as a child. Sure. Uh, my parents were involved with a community theater in South Bend, Indiana, and got me in a play at the age of eight. And, you know, and I think I was probably one of those annoying uh, uh, child actors <laughs> who, who knew everybody's lines before they did, you know, that sort of thing. You hear them from the back, from backstage yes. or behind and the curtain. My mother tells me I with... was an inveterate scene stealer. And, and, you know, <laughs> So I, that I, any any time that now is is inflicted upon me as a director, I think it's probably just just desserts for my <laughs> my infractions from my youth. But you know, in high school, I was an athlete. You know, and was you know played basketball and baseball and ran cross country things like that. But I was not um, um, start. I make the team, but I wasn't playing a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Uh, a kind of enforced audience member <laughs> uh, on the bench, and uh, and uh, so one year I and I my love of sports has never left me. But one year I remember saying to the baseball coach, "I think I'm going to try it for the for the the, the the spring musical," which we didn't have a program at uh -huh. my high school. We just had it. There was a show in the spring, a musical, but it was the West Side Story, and that was cast. And and then the next year it was Guys and Dolls, and I was cast as a lead in that, and and I've been doing it ever since. You you found yourself not only as an associate artistic director here, but having worked at other theaters, the Pearl Theater in New York. What what do you look for when you're programming a season? When you're look when as when you're looking at the kinds of plays that you not want to just direct, but that you want to have as part of your company. What what do you what do you look for? What's that process? Well, I, for you? You tr I think you want to put yourself in the frame of mind of an audience member, and uh, what what will appeal to an audience, and not and not just an existing audience, but the audience you're hoping to build. Uh, every if you're programming a season, you have an opportunity with a repertory uh, company, mm -hmm. you know, as was the case in New York, and is, is essentially the case here, in that favorite actors return season after season. You you are able to uh, program favorites for you know obviously mm -hmm. those things that are going to appeal, but at the same time have new things on the menu so that once they get into the tent, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, you know they will try out and ex and explore and experiment and experience. And thus, the artistic uh, vision of a company can expand with a, a organically with an expanding audience. So it's a mix of of, of uh, the tried and true, and new and exciting. 
given that uh, approach, speaking now as the director to the audience that will be coming and seeing Sherlock Holmes, The Final Adventure, for the rest of the fall season, what do you want to say, what would you say to an audience member in preparation for this production? Not necessarily academically, but if you could tell them anything right now, what, what well, would you has, want to tell them? Well, it has tried and true in the sense of the character. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's just one of those uh, uh, rattling good stories. A lot of you know plot, uh, plot driven uh, adventure, mystery adventure tale that's just purely uh, entertaining uh, and enjoyable. A, a great pleasure to it. The kind of play that we that is not as uh, 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 present with us as as much as it used to be. At the same time, the stagecraft of it, the, the the actual staging of it and the telling of it, is is very much in the world of the new theater, and uh, new design, and uh, as as I say, jump cutting and 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 building momentum and propulsion within the story. So that that's the new aspect of it uh, in, in the crafting of it. So I think that they get both. That way, and uh, it sits very nicely in a in a in a season, uh, fulfilling both that way. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time today. We're uh, excited for the opening weekend here of Sherlock Holmes: The Final Adventure, and congratulations! Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Play On podcast. If you like the podcast, send us a note on Twitter at Play On UT Shakes. And if you have questions or requests for the fall season cast of Boeing, Boeing, or Sherlock Holmes, we'd love to hear from you for those as well. 